Mi gente, mi gente, what is up? Chico Alexander with you here on an It Was a Thing on TV instant reaction. Today we're reacting to Doctor Who, The Star Beast. First of three specials celebrating the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who and also premiering, celebrating its premiere on Disney Plus because now the show is a production of both the BBC and Bad Wolf Films, Russell T. Davies' outlet, for both the BBC and Disney. There's a lot to go over here, so I'll just start by saying there's going to be spoilers here, so if you haven't watched it, go watch it now, come back and give us a listen, all right? All right. Now excuse me while I channel my inner Jaguar Gator 9, because we need some context to explain how we got here from there and oh boy is it a ride so buckle up when we last left the doctor she jody whittaker had regenerated into david Tennant for some reason we were expecting Gatwa from barbie and sex education but we got david Tennant. question is why did we get david Tennant? another question is why would David Tennant return with the TARDIS to present-day London, aside from the obvious? Well, in about 10 or so minutes, you're going to have the answer to that, because we're also going to talk about the return of Catherine Tate as Donna Noble. Now, when we last left Donna Noble, she was dealing with a meta-crisis. Allow me to explain. Before David Tennant, as the 10th Doctor, regenerated into Matt Smith as the 11th Doctor, he was caught in another regenerative cycle, and he thrust all of his regeneration energy into a right hand that he was keeping since his Christmas battle with the Sycorax in the Season 2 Christmas special, The Christmas Invasion. It's always been very independent, this hand. But when you couple that with regeneration energy, it basically created a new version of the Doctor. The resultant body was a being who looked like the Doctor, but was half human and had several aspects of Donna Noble's personality. Some of the Doctor's biodata in the form of a copy of his mind, including his memories and his Time Lord intellect, was transferred into Donna at the same time, resulting in a metacrisis. It lay dormant inside the still-human Donna, as we went over in the episode Journey's End. But when... The 10th Doctor's Z-Neutrino Biological Inversion Catalyzer is used on the Daleks. Davros electrocuted her, resulting in a little extra spark to kick the Doctor Donna, the resultant creature that is both living in the Metacrisis Doctor and Donna Noble's brain, to life. She has all of her body and abilities, but also the Doctor's intellect and charm? But here's the thing. No human being, no single human being, 
can survive a Time Lord metacrisis. The Doctor had to subdue the metacrisis by erasing her memory of him, and she was left to live out the rest of her life, not knowing that there is a metacrisis inside of her brain. And this becomes important because if the Doctor ever were to reappear and Donna were to ever regain the memory of him, apparently she'll die. So that's pretty much what we're dealing with. And also why the Doctor was very, very careful about making sure Donna Noble does not know he still exists. So fast forward to The Power of the Doctor, which was the season finale and also Jodie Whittaker's finale, where the Doctor regenerates into a new Doctor, which looks like the Tenth Doctor, but is not the same as the Tenth Doctor. In fact, it's billed as the Fourteenth Doctor. And the Doctor has to wonder why, and also why the TARDIS brought him back to London, dangerously close to Donna, who is now married to a cabbie and raising her own daughter, who sells toys out of a shed instead of doing what regular teenage girls ought do, which is focus on studies and whatnot. The answers will send everybody involved into one of the greatest adventures that the Doctor has ever had and one of the greatest opponents that the Doctor has ever faced, something that he has never had to face before, something that was either incredibly large and slimy or little and cute. But hey, watch the episode yourself. Make your own conclusion. But yeah, we talked about uh, David Tennant returning to the role of the Doctor and Catherine Tate returning to the role of Donna Noble. Both have been busy since their time in the TARDIS came to an end. David Tennant was in everything from DuckTales to Asuka to Good Omens. Catherine Tate was in a few episodes of The Office. Also joining the cast for this very special episode, Yasmin Finney as Donna's daughter, Rose Noble. And if I'm not mistaken, Yasmin Finney is the uh, first transgendered actress to be cast, at least the first out and open transgendered actress to be cast in a Doctor Who episode. Not much is known about her at present. She was in the Netflix series Heartstopper, if you want to go and check that out. I imagine that she's going to become quite familiar in the years to come. We also have, as Sean Temple, Donna Noble's husband, Carl Collins. And Carl Collins was actually in the bill as Danny Glaze. He was also in Hollyoaks before coming to the TARDIS. So yeah, very familiar name in Carl Collins there. We also have the return of Jacqueline King as Sylvia Noble and the return of Unit, this time under the watchful eye of the 56th. Yes, there have been 
56 science advisors. Remember, the third doctor, John Pertwee, was the first. Shirley Bingham, a wheelchair-bound advisor who is played by Ruth Madley, who is best known for her roles in Years and Years and The Rook. Like her character, she was born with spina bifida and has worked with whiz kids much of her life and is relegated to a wheelchair. Unlike her character, her wheelchair doesn't have rockets and a missile. So Unit is called in to secure a steel mill, which has just been visited by a starship that everybody is noticing around the holidays, including one doctor and one Donna Noble and her daughter, Rose. Interesting question. Why would Donna Noble name her daughter Rose? And why do her toys look a little bit familiar? And come to think about it, why does her shed look a little familiar? The mind wanders. Anyway, this is several nods to continuity, and they are coming and coming and coming. And this is all just a testament to the genius of Russell T. Davies, who returns to the show after a lengthy absence, as does Rachel Talalay to produce and direct. Rachel Talalay, she is perhaps one of the uh, greatest minds in contemporary sci-fi, but Russell Davies is just one of the perhaps... One of the most provocative, one of the most engaging minds in uh, television scribes today. In fact, so this thread, which I thought was brilliant, is from a user by the name of The Chosen One, who writes, The Star Beast has only strengthened my belief that Russell T. Davies did that one interview where he said the queer representation in Loki was a ridiculous, craven, feeble gesture saw someone say, you write better queer sci-fi then, and then took that as a fucking challenge. Need I remind you all that this is the same RTD who created Queerest Folk in the UK, the American version for Showtime, and Captain Jack Harkness, noted pansexual swashbuckler from a distant time and place. If you're gonna come at the king, you best not miss. So the doctor, in a cab, driven by Donna Noble's husband, is headed for a unit stockade with a spaceship. The doctor meets Shirley, and sparing no pleasantries, the doctor reluctantly decides to help sort things out, because as you know, the doctor and unit, brigadier aside, have a very sketchy history together. And on top of all that, he doesn't know who he is. He has his old face, but he's not sure what to make of that, or the fact that he ran into Donna Noble almost immediately after. It's again, what does it mean to be the doctor in the TARDIS at this particular place and time? A cadre of unit soldiers have secured the spaceship, but upon opening it are compelled with something that can at best be described as spacey wacy. It is, and I kid you not, a psychedelic sun. But what is its intent, I wonder? Meanwhile, Rose and Donna return to their house and 
three boys on bikes harassed Rose by calling her her dead name. Much like the actress that plays her, Rose is transgendered, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. I mean, this is a history-making moment with a history-making actress. And, of course, we're not going to repeat what the boys said because we don't play that either. And nowadays, people, especially given social media being what it is, are going to complain that their precious Doctor Who is fallen prey to wokeism. And all I can say is, have you watched Doctor Who in the last 60 years? The whole crux of the argument is being different and not letting that stop you. So... If you have a problem with it, you know, go pound rocks, all right? But back to Rose and the dead name issue. Donna, appalled by this, Rose tells her to leave it. Meanwhile, Rose retreats to her shed and finds a creature E.T. style and proceeds to hide her, also E.T. style. Donna walks in and finds the meep, which, by the way, looks like a combination of a house cat and Dobby the house elf. And while Donna is trying to convince herself that it's a hallucination, in walks the doctor, who uses his sonic screwdriver to jimmy open the house door. One thing leads to another. The doctor finds out that the meep uses meep meep pronouns and also has two hearts, and the soldiers from Unit, who are now possessed by the psychedelic sun, are firing at a pair of Worth Warriors. The Worth Warriors look like a combination of Slothene and Common Riders, and reportedly, at least according to the Meep, hunt the Meep down for their pelts. The Meep, who calls the Meep's self Beep, Beep the Meep, is supposedly the last of the species. It falls to the doctor to lead the Meep and the Nobles through attics over London via sonic screwdriver to the unit safe house. Invoking the Shadow Proclamation, he has the Worth Warriors stand trial for crimes against the Meep, but not all is as it seems. It seems that the Worth Warriors were dispatched to bring the Meep in before the Meep has a chance to board a spaceship, the very spaceship that brought the psychedelic sun to Earth, and, through use of its dagger drives, blows a hole the size of London in the heart of London. That would be bad news if you were living in London. Shirley tasks the doctor with going into the spaceship and disabling it before the ship has a chance to rocket into space. As he runs away, Donna decides to follow him, calling him Doctor for the first time, which is perhaps the first clue that this meta-crisis that Donna is starting to leak out is not all that it seems. Fully aware that the Doctor needs Donna's help in order to disengage the starship and save London, the Doctor is forced to release the hold the Metacrisis has on Donna's brain, thus giving him her knowledge and her his knowledge. And, of course, for Donna, a good 55 seconds to live. As a result, 
regeneration energy spills out. So, in a flurry of flipping switches, pushing buttons, and saying a whole lot of things that I can't even begin to unpack, they manage to disable the spaceship and jettison the Meep out into space, where the War Warriors liaise with the Meep and bring it into custody, but not without a warning from the Meep. The Meep is going to tell the boss about the last of a species with two hearts. The question is, who is the boss? And another question is, how come Donna's not dead? She's supposed to have this sort of crisis that where her head explodes in the pit of logic. The overall strength of a Doctor Who story can best be determined by the chemistry between the Doctor and the Companion. And David Tennant and Catherine Tate are, perhaps in my opinion, one of the strongest bonds ever in the 20 years since the show was rebooted on the BBC. You only have to look at the story in which the Doctor and Donna are talking to each other through two plates of glass, and there's a lady in the middle wondering what on earth the two are talking about. But back to the Doctor and Donna for a second, because Donna, it's way longer than 55 seconds, and Donna's still very much alive. But remember when I said that the Metacrisis was too much for one single human to take? Donna has a daughter, and it seems all her life for the past 15 years, she's been getting subtle hints about the Doctor's world. The Shed is a reference to the TARDIS. The toys she makes to sell online are based on the many monsters that the Doctor has come to face these 60 years and running. And together, they just let it go, releasing the Metacrisis energy into the universe in a move that, and now I'm quoting, male-presenting Time Lords would never understand. And so we end with one final trip inside the TARDIS, and for us, it is this absolutely gorgeous look inside the TARDIS that sort of blends the old TARDIS mystique with the new. It is very sanitary white. It has the circles on the wall, but it is multi-leveled. It has the ramp, it has the top and the bottom, and it has a coffee maker. So the doctor gives Donna a coffee, and Donna proceeds to spill the coffee on the console, setting everything on fire, and taking the Doctor and the TARDIS to who knows where. That is a question that will be answered in the next episode, whenever that drops on Disney+. Plus. You can watch this episode for yourself on Disney+, Plus, or if you're listening in the UK, you can watch on BBC iPlayer. But holy cow, this just reminds me, this episode, this single episode, just encapsulates in 58 minutes what is so great about Doctor Who and why it has lasted these 60 years. 
It's just imagination, captivating storytelling, engaging characters. Russell T. Davies has just assembled basically a rogues gallery of fan service. And unlike fan service that you would see elsewhere, like in Mutant Mayhem, TMNT, uh, Power Rangers Once and Always, it all makes sense in the grand scheme of things. To what extent, we will not know, but again, I'm thinking back to the thread where Russell T. Davies took somebody saying Loki was a ridiculous, craven, feeble gesture and telling him, challenge accepted. And this was without the Neil Patrick Harris episode, and this was without the Jinx Monsoon episode, both of which are coming down the pike. But you need to give this show a watch because it is absolutely awesome. Even with everything that Doctor Who has been going through for the past 60 years or the past almost 20 years in its current incarnation, Doctor Who is pretty damn cool. That's my instant reaction. I'm sure I'll have more to say when Greg, Mike, and I do the year in review, which, by the way, will be available along with all the other episodes. And it was a thing on TV.com, of course, wherever fine podcasts can be streamed. Remember to follow us on the socials at It Was a Thing on TV, except for Facebook, which is at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And yeah, that's all I've got. Um, Chico Alexander, thank you so much for listening. Please be kind to one another. And I'll see you for the next one.